May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. And before we actually go into the ministry of the word, I do want to pray a prayer. couple of prayers. One, in time of great sickness and mortality, that's on page 45. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O most mighty and merciful God, in this time of grievous sickness, we flee unto thee for succor. Deliver us, we beseech thee, from our peril. Give strength and skill to those who minister to the sick. Prosper the means made use of for their cure, and grant that, perceiving how frail and uncertain our life is, we may apply our hearts unto that heavenly wisdom which leadeth to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then I'm going to pray a special prayer and be very much in prayer for Afghanistan. Um, Thousands of Americans still there on the ground, and I don't want to get too deep in the details. You've seen the news, but we definitely need to pray for the most vulnerable of that population. So so let us remember also um, their, them in our prayers. O Almighty God, the Supreme Governor of all things, whose power no creature is able to resist, to whom it belongeth justly to punish sinners and to be merciful to those who truly repent, save and deliver us, we humbly beseech thee from the hands of our enemies, that we, being armed with thy defense, may be preserved evermore from all perils to glorify thee who art the only giver of all victory through the merits of thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And O God, merciful and compassionate, who are ever ready to hear the prayers of those who put their trust in thee, graciously hearken to us who call upon thee and grant us thy help in this our need through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And one thing I'm reminded of, especially as we now have on our calendar, at least this year, 24 Sundays of Trinity. So this is our 12th Sunday after Trinity, which puts puts us in the halfway point of Trinity Tide. And, And of course, this is that time when we remember our sanctification and remember that that it's the Lord who works in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. And the color of Trinity, also known as ordinary time, symbolized by the color green, which denotes growth. So in this season of personal growth and sanctification, we would do well to remember the importance of an authentic gospel ministry as we live and interact with a society, a world, a culture desperately in need of it. Because in the marketplace of ministry options, we also find a variety of worship styles, of theologies, emphases, and even denominations. And that's, that's all well and good, and, and that's okay as long as Christ remains at the center of it all. And we proclaim a gospel of grace under the apostolic authority of the Holy Scriptures as we read in Article 6 of the 39 Articles. And that's found on page 603 of your prayer book, if you wanted to mark that for later or if you're following along. It's of the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation. 
Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man, that it should be believed as an article of the faith, or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scripture, we do understand those canonical books of the Old and New Testament of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. And of course, when we think of, of our, our scriptures, we do not read our scriptures or understand our scriptures outside of tradition and plain reason. It's what we call in the Anglican church a three-legged stool of scripture, tradition, and reason. Scripture being preeminent. We do have an advantage today. It's that we have the entire canon of Scripture, which we possess along with our formularies, which are subordinate to and yet supported by Scripture. And the classical Anglican formularies, as we call it, refer to the Book of Common Prayer. That's our liturgy. The ordinal, which means that's the manner for, 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 for making deacons, priests, and, or presbyters, and bishops, also known as priests, and also the 39 Articles, which is a statement of our faith. However, in the time of the Apostles, St. Paul had to defend his apostolic ministry against those who accused him of commending or appointing himself to the ministry without due authority, except, of course, Christ personally appointed him. After that Damascus Road experience where he fell off his horse, and was blinded, and after he had to answer the Lord who asked uh, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, and then when the Lord had called Ananias to pray for him, pray for St. Paul so that he could receive his sight, of course, Ananias was saying, well, why, Lord, did you see the evil that that he's done to, to us Christians? And then that's when the Lord made it clear that he's going to be my appointed vessel And then he's going to see just how much he's going to suffer for me. So there's no doubt uh, that St. Paul was personally appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to be his apostle. And then we read uh, in the last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So, so this absolutely is uh, the authority that, that St. Paul was articulating is that ultimately this authority comes from the word of God and comes from God himself. So that as a backdrop, let's turn to our epistle today, which is found on page 206, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And I will begin with the first three verses. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The apostle essentially told the Corinthian church this. You want proof? You're the proof. 
St. Chrysostom put it another way. If we needed to be commended to others, he says, we would have produced you before them rather than a letter. St. Paul did not disparage, however, the use of letters of introduction. And we see that written all throughout the the epistles. And that use of, of commending based on letters had already become established within the Christian church. And we can actually see that instance in uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 27, where we read, and I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, this was uh, when the third missionary journey commenced, in where we read, beginning in verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So that was the letter of introduction that actually went before him in travel. So so that was very much a a common practice. And and also the apostle himself had sought uh, the, the epistolary credentials from the high priest at Jerusalem before setting out for the synagogues of Damascus to persecute the church. So even that precedence was in play going back to Acts chapter 19. But also he himself gave uh, commendatory letters. Uh, We find that in Romans and also 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and and several different places. So, So the point being is that it was common to produce letters. And his opponents apparently also carried letters as their credentials but these letters weren't likely authoritative originating from the three Jerusalem pillars known as Saints James, Peter, and John. And then we find that in Galatians 2.9 or the 12 uh, apostles. But from the Pharisaic wing of the Jerusalem church where the Judaizers, Judaizers rather, required strict observance of the Mosaic law, namely circumcision certain dietary restrictions as being essential for salvation, which led the council at Jerusalem to actually settle the matter once and for all. And we can read that account in Acts chapter 15. And I will begin at the first verse. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had a great dissension and, and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles who were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they 
reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as also uh, did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to hear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they also are. And then ultimately, we read the judgment uh, where the church council finally decided uh, that, uh, all right, circumcision is not required. Many aspects of the ceremonial Mosaic law are not required because they're fulfilled in, in Christ. However, in, in addition to not being circumcised, that they are to abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. And, and that was the, the first decision of the very first church council, which was at Jerusalem. Well, that's a little bit of background concerning how they dealt with that matter of legalism. And that's what we're talking about is adding anything to the gospel that it is of not of the gospel. And what the apostle pointed out was that they were also living epistles who tell the story of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, which changed the hearts and renewed the minds of the Corinthian church. Thus, the evidence was their changed lives, the law written on their hearts. And we likewise are living epistles. Okay, we likewise have a testimony that we share about how Christ changed our lives. And then whenever people do come to us and want to know the reasons for the hope that we have within us, the reasons for our joy, even in the midst of trials, then we could simply, simply point to the Lord Jesus Christ who made satisfaction on our behalf on the cross. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we have eternal life. And the law cannot do anything to save us. Let's read on in our text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, picking up at verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. The apostle reminds us that those of us who minister the gospel using our various gifts and various offices do so not with persuasive words or clever speech, as though we were sufficient in and of ourselves because we're not but rather our sufficiency is from God who equips and empowers us to proclaim the very clear gospel message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll pause there just for, for a brief story. I've, I've seen that in 
being on evangelism teams when we lived in Alamogordo. There was one house I visited, gave what amounted to be a word-perfect presentation of the gospel, and it fell on deaf ears. It made no sense at all to the hearer who heard it, and they did not respond to the gospel in faith. On the other hand, I had a follow-up visit at another home, the very last home I would ever visit in Alamogordo, a very large home, and I kind of figured, well, this looks like a place where it's going to be a very quick visit. Was I ever wrong? And not only did I chop it up and didn't do a very good job of presenting the gospel, it didn't sound very clear, and when I got to the end, I asked, does this make sense to you? And he said, yes, and I'm thinking, how? How could what I just said make sense? But, but you know what? He had ears to ear, hear and eyes to see and a heart that was open to respond to the gospel. So he responded in faith. St. Augustine also talked about this concept of, of the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us, where he preached, therefore it rests not in human power, but on God's, that we have the power to be made the sons of God. They received it from him who inspires in the human heart devout thoughts through which it possesses faith, which works through love. For acquiring and retaining this good and for our progressing perseveringly in it to the end. We are not sufficient to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God in whose power resides in our heart, in our thoughts. And how do we know that this preaching comes from God? When God's word is proclaimed. And hearts are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that the fruits of the Spirit are on full display in the life of the Christian. We see good works, but it's the power of God driving these works in our sanctification. And that's how we grow, as imperfect as we are, as fallen as we are. And how many times we've ever blown it in our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. We should be seeing a steady growth in our life. Because if we're not seeing any growth, not seeing any fruit, then we would have a good reason to examine ourselves, to make our calling and election sure. A.J. Gordon, one of the founders of Gordon-Conwell Divinity School, told of walking out and looking across the field at a house. And there beside the house was what looked like a man pumping furiously at one of those hand pumps that pumped water. As Gordon watched, the man continued to pump at a tremendous rate And he seemed absolutely tireless, pumping on and on, up and down, without ever slowing in the slightest, not even stopping to take a break. Truly, it was a remarkable sight. So Gordon walked a little bit closer to see what was going on. And as he got closer, he could see that it was not a man at the pump, but a wooden figure painted to look like a man. The arm that was pumping so rapidly was hinged at the elbow and the hand was wired to the pump handle. The water was pouring forth, but not because the figure was pumping it. It was because of an artesian well and the water was actually pumping the hand, if you will. And when you see God's people at work serving the Lord and producing results, recognizing that it's the Holy Spirit working through each of us, not our efforts alone that yield results. All we have to do is to keep our hand on the handle, as it were, which means to be faithful 
as we continue to serve alongside each other and to bear witness when we're outside these walls. Because whenever we send you out to go forth in joy to love and serve the Lord, the, the very word mass comes from missa, which means to send, to send out. When you're being sent out in the world, you're sent out to bear witness. You're sent out to look for those divine appointments that the Lord has set in your path. And all we simply have to do is being in front of the person that God has positioned at the right time. And as I've said, I've seen that happen. And it's really a blessing whenever you do see somebody who responds in faith. It's a beautiful thing. All right, let's go to our last verse in today's epistle. Verse 6. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills... But the Spirit gives life. For us who serve as ministers of the new covenant, we must first strip away any legalism that remains, much like the contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector that you would have read in last week's gospel. And uh, that was for the propers of the 11th Sunday after Trinity. And so I would say, look back at St. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 to see the difference. You see, because we cannot presume even for a moment that adherence to the letter of the law will save us because it can't. The moment we think it can, we become much like the self-righteous Pharisee who attempted to justify himself by thinking he was better uh, than the other who was not righteous, like that tax collector. We must not do that. And neither must we fall into the other extreme, the falling so deep into the depths of despair and defeat that we believe that we are beyond the grasp of God's grace, mercy, and love. And if that describes you, I encourage you with confidence to draw near to the throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, as we read in Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 16. God has written his law on our hearts, and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we read in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Our sufficiency, beloved, is in Christ. The letter of the law kills because it announces God's will without granting the power to keep it. The Spirit brings life because He changes our hearts. He enables us to keep His law and empowers our ministry. And as the living epistles that are being sent out, we share our story about God's amazing grace in us and we proclaim the gospel ultimately leaving the results in God's hands. That works when we witness in the home. That works when we witness in the schools. That works in our neighborhoods, such as the cul-de-sac where I live, and the marketplace, wherever you find yourself interacting with others. Pray for and look for those opportunities. There are a lot of hurting people right now. And uh, it's been like that for a while. So be there to share that hope of Christ, that hope of eternal life, that hope found in the cross. Amen.
And we say this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost.